0: We're in our series called From Hurt to Healing, and pastors always do series, you know, 15 points of Twinkies. I don't know, whatever it is. But this, this one is, is very much a felt need in our generation in our time and in the family of God. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean you don't suffer hurts, emotional stresses, and pain. Last time I preached, we started this with... Uh, the first one of the seven called, When You are, are Under Heavy Burdens. I encourage you to go back on YouTube and watch that. Uh, by the way, there are over 1,500 people that belong to, that are followers on the Facebook sermon page. It's incredible what's happened there recently. It's just exploded. People are taking the messages, the sermons of Abundant Life, and they're listening to them who knows where. Um, But that's something all of us experience. We experience in our life at times heavy burdens, don't we? You've had a lot of things going on. You've had stresses. When you go to bed at night and you you can't sleep because something is on your mind, it's like you hit your finger and it's throbbing except in your emotional state. You don't know what to do because the burden is heavy. You don't know how to face tomorrow. Well, we're going to talk about loss today as Phil started us off with and then failure, illness, rejection, willful sin, and finally difficult circumstances. But I want to start out with our main text in scripture, one that that we might know well. And would you read this scripture aloud with me? I like it because it's where we get the name of our church from, John 10:10. 10, 10. It reads like this, the thief Come on, say it with me, good loud voice. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, abundant life. Aren't you grateful for the Lord's promise? You know, I want us to turn in our Bibles, if you would, with me today to Joshua chapter 7. And we'll be in a few other places as well. There's an outline on the back of your bulletin. Um. What has happened here? Last week we talked about Moses' heavy burdens. Remember, he cried out to God. We're having a similar situation with Joshua. Moses has died, and the torch has been passed to Joshua. Now, Joshua's got all these people. Moses brought them out of Egypt. They're wandering around in the desert, and they're on their way to the promised land. God promised that he would give Joshua every place Joshua put his foot. Remember that? Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to make this promise. I'll give you every place you put your foot, Joshua, wherever you step. I mean, what a promise, right? God challenged Joshua to trust him completely. Number one, he said, be strong and courageous. That's a good statement, right? Then he said, do not be afraid. That's a loaded one. And thirdly, he said, don't be discouraged. Now, on all three of those points, how many have lost? We've all lost. I'm sure we've all faced discouragements. There's times we've not been courageous. There's also been times where we have been fearful. Well, all of those things that God told him to do is great. Great commission, right? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. You know, just press forward. But Joshua, he says, I'm going to give you something to be able to do these things. It's a great thing to have these commissions. We like those statements, right? Be strong and courageous. Everybody's like, yeah, I want to be strong and courageous. And then he says, don't be afraid. Yeah, I'm not going to be afraid. Then he says, do not be discouraged. Yeah, that's good, good advice. But we can't do that on our own. So God gives Joshua something so profound, something so incredible, and that he gives to us today to be able to do those three things. He says, I am going to give you something that will ensure that you'll be able to be strong and courageous, unafraid and encouraged. And that thing I'm going to give you is this. In verse 9, I'm going to give you my presence. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Isn't that comforting to know that wherever you are in life, the Lord is with you. He never leaves. He never goes away. So here's Joshua, Moses is dead and gone, the torch has been passed to this guy, and he's leading the children of Israel. At this point, possibly two and a half million of them, they've been through so much in the desert. We went through all of that last time, but the first challenge that Joshua faces on the way to the promised land is this city called Jericho an incredible fortified city. The the promise to him was that God would lead Israel and all of their families into the promised land that God was given to them. And the, the issue is that Jericho is in the way. They've got to get through Jericho. And so Joshua does something. He sends two spies to scope out Jericho. And Israel, under Joshua's leadership, acted in faith. Remember, when they marched around Jericho, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, and the walls that came tumbling down. How many, how many know that song? Yeah. Okay, uh, some of you are old enough, you remember that song, right? Okay. Um, Hebrews, in fact, talks about Joshua's faith. It says, it was by faith, talks about Israel's faith, that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. And what an account in history They march around these walls. And if there's been a recent, well, recent, the mid-90s, an archaeological find that showed Jericho and what they believed to be the ruins, and the walls were constructed in such a way where there was an outer retaining wall that was probably 12 feet high, and it was filled in by a large amount of fill and dirt by another high wall that was um, up to 15 foot high, just a little bit higher. And so this was a big uh, encompassing wall. It was, it, was, it was huge. The Bible says so large on top that the chariots raced one another on top of the wall. So it's a big thing. And God told them to march around the city one day for seven days. And on the seventh day, they'll w- walk around seven times and then shout, for God has given you the city. I can hear Carmen now. For God has given you the city. Anyway, if you don't know who Carmen is, it's not what you think. Winning and success is, not, is God's blessing. I want us to get this part. Winning and success is God's blessings, and he has the right to give success and the win. Our job is not success, but faithfulness. Faith is not a force that we manipulate by believing the elements of creation. Faith is trusting in God no matter the circumstances. Faith is obeying God no matter the circumstances. Faith is putting our future hope in God no matter the circumstances. Faith is putting our hope in God and trusting him with the results. God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to even trust you with the results, even if I don't think that they should be what they should be. Come on now. This is good preaching. That's what faith is. It is believing in God that he is caring for my life and proceeding through my life and guiding my life. Not that everybody else is not. People are rejecting God all around me. They're walking. They're doing all kinds of things all around me. We live in a wicked world. Consider the losses that Israel has suffered. Poisonous snakes, right? Remember the poisonous snakes? They're grumbling. The snakes come bite them. Many of them died. The ground opens up and eat some of them for lunch because they're complaining again, eating the same food day after day after day after day, this manna from heaven, then the, God sends meat and there's a complaint about that. You really begin to wonder what's driving them. What keeps them faithful? In the 1950s, there was a man named Dr. Kurt Richter. And Dr. Kurt Richter did this experiment with Rats. So he gets these rats, and he puts them in a five-gallon bucket, or a bucket. And this rat swims in this bucket of water, half full of water. The rat can't get out because the sides are too steep and tall. And in six minutes, all the rats, they died every time. They just died. Well, he did something very interesting. He took the rat, this, the first one, and he did several. He, he took a rat, and he put it in there. And the rat swam and swam for up to six minutes right before the rat was about to give up The doctor pulled the rats out uh, so they could get a respite. They could get their breath. Then he put the rats back into the bucket, and they didn't swim for 60 minutes. They swam for 60 hours. 60 hours. Why? Because they had hope. I don't know if a rat can really have hope, but there was an instinct that they weren't going to die. Israel suffered such loss, but their faith was driven by hope. Consider all uh, God had done to provide for them so far. I mean, delivered them from slavery. He, He parts the River Jordan so they can cross over on the other side. Did you know God parts the waters five times in the Bible? Well, four times, but five if you count creation, because creation says that he divided the waters, separated from the earth from the waters above, And then he parted um, the Red Sea, right, for them. Then he parts the Jordan now for them to cross. He parted the Red Sea for Moses, the Jordan for them. Then God parted the the river for um, Elijah and Elisha as, as, you know, Elijah's, Elisha's following Elijah, they go across the river, Elijah goes up in the whirlwind, right? Elisha comes back to the river
1: and the water parts again. So five times, not just the Red Sea. So they have all these things that happen. Hope is huge, right? Hope is big. Hope is what draws people to
0: salvation. Like, I'm in my life. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand life. I don't understand my trials. I don't understand my problems. But there is this thing that God gives me, and he says he loves me. He cares about me. He has concern for my life. And there's people that love God that are loving me and trying to point me the right direction. I got to believe that there's something more
1: to life than living and dying. Hope is huge. Giving hope is, is, is the
0: work of, God's Holy, of the Holy Spirit, and we have hope in the promises of God. So Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho, the two spies go in, and they, they, they're going to get discovered. There's news about that they're in the city. So everybody's looking for him. The soldiers are turning over every cart. They're knocking on every door. And there's a woman there by the name of Rahab. But her name's just not Rahab. Every time we see her name in scripture, she's called Rahab the prostitute. If there ever was a story of someone who suffered loss, it was Rahab the harlot. Rahab was a woman, the Bible says though, of faith that turned her faith to action And she lives in Jericho. The two spies come and she gives them a place to hide. Now, first of all, she's in Jericho. So if she's up to bat, that's strike number one. That place is going to get invaded. In fact, the whole city's a Twitter about Israel encampment just on the outside. So it's about to be destroyed in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 15. It says that her house is in the wall. Not only is it going to be that she's going to be overrun uh, in the inner part of the city, but her house is in the very wall. It's going to be destroyed. Her home, her life, everything she has, everything she is about is about to go under, to be utterly destroyed.
1: Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been up to bat and felt like that? You felt like that there is nothing
0: left I know the enemy is coming. I know hardship is on the way. Consider how she felt. Not only was she going to lose, the biggest part of the loss was she anticipated the loss.
1: Anticipation of loss is greater than loss, or can be, because you're considering what will happen after
0: the loss. After the loss, you begin to pick up the pieces and you begin to deal with life, or you might be able to press on. But anticipating the loss can be very stressful.
1: The walls are formidable and the walls come down. But Rahab was preserved and saved. In fact, through Ahab comes the line of Jesus. But she was a throwaway. Like I said in scripture, every time she's mentioned, she's called Rahab the prostitute. Her
0: life was selling sex. Her life was one that most people would think evil, junk, worthless. So when men come to town, they want to go to the red light district. She lived there very close in the wall. She She was in a prime spot for what she did. So she's in Jericho, strike one. But she's still up to bat. Strike two, that she is a prostitute. In fact, everywhere in scripture, like I said, that's what she's labeled as, identified as a loser before she can even get started, really, in her community, with her family, her reputation about, significant to, her, and significant to herself. But one thing that's so profound, this, this, this Rahab, the prostitute, is in Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith chapter.
1: God can use anyone. God can speak to anyone and give anyone hope.
0: In fact, Hebrews 11.31 says this of, of Rahab. It says, it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city. He refused to obey God for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Even though she has two strikes against her, God is getting her up for one more at bat. She's about to hit a grand slam. She's holding the bat to swing. And the swing here is a swing in faith. Faith fueled by one thing, the
1: greatest thing, and that is hope. Without hope, there's no purpose, right? We, we discard everything else
0: and we say, you know, the heaviness of my loss or anticipated loss is huge. And there are people in this room you've lost. Your story's not
1: unlike Phil's. Jared, your story is similar. Carl, your story is the same.
0: There's others in here. Miriam, your story is the same. Corrine, your story is
1: the same. We've lost. So far, Joshua is doing things well. Things are going good. That walls of Jericho fall, I mean,
0: imagine that. We love to win, right? Who doesn't like to win? I mean, I've, some of you have been over to my house playing games. You play that game with Corrine and Pam. I've heard you hoop and hollering in the dining room. <laughs> I know <laughs> you like to win. We have game night here at church, and people are hooping and hollering when they win. Play that silly game with the dice, you know. and Woo, I got 10,000,
1: yeah. We love to win. Winning is great. And uh, it's awesome when the Seahawks win a championship.
0: Yeah, if it'll ever happen, right? When you lose, you should have run Marshawn instead of throwing the pass, then you don't feel so good.
1: (laughs) So all of a sudden, things are good. Imagine the excitement of Israel.
0: Imagine the victory that they had just seen. And all of a sudden comes this fellow named
1: Achan. 3,000 people, soldiers. So his commander says, you know, Joshua,
0: to go into this next part, there's this little group at Ai, and we're going to defeat them. And his, Joshua says, okay, how many soldiers do we need? How many men do we need to defeat Ai? And he says, uh, yeah, just a few. We did maybe about 3,000 guys. Okay, take them, do it. Let's read the account of history, Joshua 7.1. But Israel violated the instructions about things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. In their um, destroying, in in uh, in their conquering, they were supposed to have the things collected, taken, and dedicated to the Lord. And he stole some and hid them in his tent. Achan was the son of Camre descendant of Zimri, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai east of Bethel near Beth-Avon. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It'll only take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there are so few of them, don't make all of our people struggle just to go up there. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries where they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events. Why does it called a turn of events? Because they had just walked through Je- the Jordan River. They had just seen Jericho fall. Turn of events. In other words, things have been going great. Things have been hunky-dory. Now what? What's happening here? So Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay. It's a traditional Jewish sign of disgust. They would rip their clothes. Ah, put ashes on their heads, threw dust on their heads, and bowed down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cried out, Okay, now give his prayer. Get what he's saying to the Lord. It's not that dissimilar from Moses' experience. Oh, sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies For when the Canaanites and all of the other people in the land hear about it, when the reputation gets out, when when this news starts to break, God, they will will surround us and wipe our name off the face of the earth. And then what will happen to the honor of your great
1: name, Joshua is going to lose the game, at least in his eyes. I want us to catch three important things about losing. Number one, you will lose. You will lose. You will suffer losses.
0: You will lose in competition. You will come in second at times in your career. You will lose among people. You will lose in relationships at times. You will lose battles here and there. You aren't going to win every time. That's just the facts. Amen? It's just the way that it's going to be. Even doing your very best, especially even if you're putting your entire trust in the Lord. Now hear me with this. Because God permits losses. You will lose money. You will lose credibility with some. It's true. No matter how well you do, you will lose. Not only will you lose, you will suffer loss. Losing and suffering loss is a little different. You will suffer from the loss of strained relationships. You will lose loved ones. This is perhaps the hardest part of life on this planet, suffering losses. But not only will you lose and suffer losses, secondly, you will list the reasons you lost. (laughs) The after game report, News 5, why did you lose the game? Put the microphone in the coach's mouth. And he has to explain what happened. We lost because this, because of that. Everyone lists the reasons in their mind. If only I would have done this, this wouldn't have happened. I begin to list all of the reasons. If I would have behaved a certain way, if I would have connected with this person, if I would have said this just right, if I would have invested in this, or if I would have spent more time with my son during this age, or if I would have nurtured relationship with my spouse earlier, if I would have done this, if I would have turned to the Lord way back when, I wouldn't have wound up in prison with this. If I would have served God with my whole life, I wouldn't be bound to this. If I would have never tried that when I was in school, I would have never had this addiction if I only had not done these things, if I'd only treated my children differently, if I I only, I mean, I'm sure that's what's going on somewhat in Joshua's mind, right? He's recounting every detail of everything about that he's done. He's rehearsing it, every conversation, the planning with with the leaders of this invasion, the, the, the steps to take before the battle. We know it's on his mind because he goes to God immediately,
1: questioning God. In fact, it seems like he's blaming God a bit. I'm sure none of you have ever done that. I know you
0: have. You're human. I have. I've learned better since, but sometimes I still catch
1: myself. Regret is the enemy of peace, friends. Regret is the enemy of mental health.
0: Most of those injuries that we cause in our brain are because we have regrets over things we can't repair, we can't can't fix, and this is the loss of the world Those who are in Christ, we understand that the Hebrew says that that the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience from guilt. Hallelujah. That in Christ, by the power of his blood, the regrets are taken by the Holy Spirit from the believer. That you don't have to bear those, you can bring them to the Lord, and he will sustain you. Man, that's good preaching. I'm in telling you what, obviously I'm being silly, I'm making a point, that God is the God of peace, God is the God of sanity, regret destroys both. Thirdly, about loss and losing, you'll be tempted to question God, and God-given vision and calling. Joshua totally questions God here. I mean, right out. He just doesn't pull any punches. He questions God entirely. Why did you bring us here, God? Similar to Moses, right? (laughs) He said, said, Moses, like, why did you bring me out here to deal with these miserable people? Just kill me now, God. Well, Joshua says similar. Why did you bring us here? Why did you let the Amorites kill us? AI what he also says hey god
1: why are you making me look bad hmm. he also says god why would you put me in this position
0: to defend you when you're allowing all these bad things to happen the biggest atheist question then why does a loving god allow bad things to happen to good people god also says Uh, He says also, God, why did you put me in this position to defend you this way? And he especially, the overtone here is this. Why is this happening when you promise to give me every place my foot's going to step? Come on. How many have read God's promise, embrace it in prayer, and then God seems to take you another direction? Maybe God gave you a vision. Maybe he told you something. And yet somehow it seems like it's not happening. God permits the death of a vision. I can show you examples throughout scripture where death of vision occurs. What do you do when that begins to happen? It's because oftentimes our vision wasn't entirely aligned with God's great purposes in it all. If you have ever suffered loss, and wondered why, then understand this question. I think we have a lot of questions. For us today, it's just like Joshua. I mean, why, God, did you promise me that if I raised them knowing you, they would know you and they don't? Why, God, did you call me to ministry and all these obstacles are in the way? Why, God, do I lose when you promised me victory? God, why am I suffering when those that are around me that aren't even serving you seem to prosper. The same cry as the psalmist. He said, why do the wicked seem to be prospering so much? And I'm serving you, God, and, and we seem defeated. We seem like it, we're, the enemies on every side. Why, 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 why? Why am I suffering, God? You are in control. Well, I want to give us some promises from God in our losses quickly, and I'll
1: close. Verse number one, solutions. God just doesn't tell us to go on the roof of our house with our
0: bags packed and he's going to come and scoop us away. He offers before us solutions as he did for Joshua. Verse 12, he says, Get up!
1: God answers Joshua, Get up! Command the people to purify themselves in
0: preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart from the Lord. You will never defeat your enemy until you remove these things from among you. First, he says, get up. Other translations say that God says, stand up. Now, he says, stand up. And in one translation, he says, stand up. What are you doing on your face? Don't you find God's reply so apropos, so insightful? God is, is taking Joshua absolutely completely from the direction he's facing in depression, from the loss, in the sorrow, from it all, in the pain. And he's turning
1: around and saying, Hey, get up. Why are you. I still gave you a promise. In other words, did you forget what
0: I told you? Be strong. courageous God did not give Joshua the prescription of his calling without putting the calling to the test what does he do he says your strength and courage are being questioned right now your your anger your your fear is being put to the test right now
1: all of those things are being tested get up what are you doing friends Believing in Jesus and
0: having faith means you are faithful. People that follow Jesus and know Jesus, we're not just here for a gushy, ushy worship song and a great sounding band with a smoke machine and laser lights. I'm not against those things necessarily. There's other churches in town that have that, right? God bless them. You know, whatever. We probably will never have those here, but I'm just saying
1: It's not about just how you feel about God. It's about your faithfulness in the hardship. God
0: says, get up for a reason. You were never saved and called by God to bear the responsibility of success. You were not. I hope you hear this. This is not what's being preached today. This is opposite what's being preached. Five points on being successful. I want to tell you, success is God's responsibility. Faithfulness and faith are our responsibility. The, the success is on God's scale. It's on God's timing. And no matter how it might look to us, in that moment, Joshua thinks it's lost, and yet God is still leading him to the promised land. God says, discover my will. God says and tells him what to do. He singles out Achan and Achan was, Achan afterwards, uh, he was put to death. Um, and problem solved. Ephesians 5 gives, Paul gives these great insights for us. He says, Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity. In other words, Why, God, why, why, why? Turn away from that. He says, get up. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So here's the point of this. God confronts Joshua's whys, and he says, Joshua, why is always the wrong question. What is the appropriate response? What, God, do you want me to do now? What, God, are you teaching me in this situation? What, God, because of this issue, in this circumstance, are you wanting to do? What, God, is next because I am ready? Not why, not whining, (coughs) not moaning. Come on, we're all good at the why. I've been good at the why. I've had to have my wife lay hands on me and pray in the spirit so I would get rid of the why. Some very recently, God promises solutions. Secondly, he promises strength. God promises to Joshua that He would never leave him. Right? He said, "I'm not going away." God's one requirement to Joshua uh, that he would be completely that he would completely trust God. He said, "Remember, be strong and courageous." In other words, follow me. Trust me. Isaiah forty thirty one. The God speaks to the prophet, and it's it's, it's somewhat prophetic, but it's it's a, it's prophetic for all those who would pursue God. He says that, that the, those who pursue him, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I like that. I like that, that we will have strength from the Lord. The same for Joshua is the same for us today, to trust in the Lord and in his mighty power. We often misunderstand um, this strength. It isn't a strength for me that says, God, give me an iron will so I can stand Because if God did that, we'd boast. We could boast that we have this will. It's becoming more humble. That's what prayer is. Resigning my will for more of the Lord's. The next thing he promises him is victory. Even though Joshua and Israel faced more challenges, they were ultimately victorious, right? And why? Sometimes in the middle of the loss, in the middle of the pain, that the heartache makes us forget the promises of God. Joshua did. He, he mistook God's course correction and questioned God's strength. Never question course corrections. God has them in your life. If you're, if you're a believer, he's going to put them there. Philippians 1.13 tells us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Not our own strength, but Christ who strengthens. Finally, comfort. We've got to turn to the words of Jesus to understand this for us. If you are losing, if you've suffered loss, then Jesus, God is speaking to us today. And he tells his disciples because they're afraid. He says, I've told you this in, in John 16, so that you have peace in me, right? Here on this earth, you'll have many trials, not just a few How many would say, Lord, I've had enough now. (laughs) I've had many.
1: And sorrows. Trials and sorrows. From what? Losses. But take
0: heart because I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus is portraying for us a vision today. A vision of what eternity really is, what it looks like. And the scope of it is beyond our comprehension because pain hurts. We feel pain it, uh, from loss. We feel pain in our bodies when they ache. We, we feel all kinds of disruption in our life when things are just out of sorts and, and we know that we're gonna lose or this, this deal's not gonna happen, this issue in life, these friends aren't gonna like me anymore, this whole thing, all the pressures of this world and
1: facing loss and going through all of that, the death of a loved one. Jesus, Hey, don't get too
0: fixated just on what you right now can see like this big when there's a whole kaleidoscope of life that I have planned for you. The emotional and mental strain that losing and loss brings is very hurtful and damaging. I want to ask Pam to come and play for us when we pray here. And friends, that's the plan of the enemy. The enemy wants to kill. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your hope. He wants to steal away any promise so that you will give up on the one thing that God has called you to, and that is to be be faithful, to be
1: strong and courageous and trust him. The enemy wants to destroy you mentally, mental
0: suicide. He wants to destroy you emotionally, emotional suicide. He wants to make you crazy. And he wants you to commit physical suicide. All those are the voices of the enemy. Don't mix them up for your voice. It's not any other voice. Because the God of all hope and the God of all comforts calling you to real life. What did Jesus say in our scripture? The enemy comes to do these things, but I have come to do something different, opposite, to give you life and life abundantly. Jesus says that life is a full life, the fullest of life. Stand with me as we pray, would you? Jesus, I am so grateful for this church family. And I am grateful, God, for the present trials we may be experiencing. I praise you, Lord, for the difficulties that we may be experiencing. I praise you for the loss and the losses we may be experiencing. I praise you for uh, the, the losing we may have had. I give you praise for it. Because right now, Lord, that faithfulness that you've called us to is the same strong and courageous that you gave to Joshua. And you said you would never leave us, you would never forsake us, and that there is always hope in you. There's, there's never a turning away. There's, there's never a place we've been so bad or so we've lost so poorly that you don't see us and love us and care about us and are drawing us to yourself. Because you are the God of
1: all comfort.